Big Dumb Movie is a comedic podcast that often contains obscene language and outlandish commentary. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie, where we discuss movies of the big dumb variety. I'm your host, Corey, and I'm here with my co-host, Steve. Ahoy, mateys. And Josh. Woohoo! <laughs> Josh, which Josh are you, Josh? Homer Simpson Josh. Um, I'm the Josh that keeps being replaced by another Josh, so I don't know. You tell me. I'm Josh from Spoilers and some other stuff in my life that I have in my life, too, but Spoilers is how you probably know me, right, Corey? Yeah, that's how I know you, for sure, <laughs> and probably our <laughs> listeners. Josh, are you high guy, Josh? I'm not, I don't think, but that's up for interpretation, I guess. Someone left a comment that it didn't have... Either Josh on that episode, but someone said, where's high guy Josh? Other Josh, I think, laughs a little more than me. So I don't know. I laugh a lot, too. I don't know who's to say. We're all high Josh's these days. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe so. Speaking of YouTube comments, it's been a long time since on air. We've gone through some really good YouTube comments. There's a good reason for that. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably right, Steve. It was nine months ago on the White House Down episode. Nine months. Can you believe it? Oh, boy. I can't believe we watched White House Down. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't believe I could have had a kid between then and now. (laughs) I'm still having nightmares about that movie. Yeah, Right? (laughs) Fucking Obama. (laughs) Oh, God. Anything with Channing Tatum is just guaranteed to not be very good. At least it's not the... Gerald Butler, Gerard. Gerard Butler. Yeah. Is oh, he, yeah. What was that one called? He's in the other White House. Elysium Down or something? Elysium. Whatever it was called or Absolution. <laughs> it's it's it, a stupid name. I think that one was a question. White House. White Down? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no thanks. It appears to be under siege. <laughs> Down? Down? Uh, uh, so YouTube comments. Uh, I figured this would be a good opportunity for us to look at some YouTube comments and respond to people. We actually have gotten a lot since then, so I'm going to go through them kind of quick. Only some of them vehemently racist, I'm sure. (laughs) That's up for interpretation, I think. (laughs) Josh, do you ever get good comments at spoilers? Good comments? No. Anything (laughs) worth reading? Anything noteworthy? We've literally never read YouTube comments on the air, I don't think, ever. YouTube was spoilers podcast, like, last platform, though. I feel like you have much of a heavier hold there. Yeah, YouTube's our territory. Stay out, bro. Princess of YouTube. (laughs) All right, this is on our Space Jam YouTube episode. Zero Two says, fuck you. Well, fuck you right back. (laughs) What am I supposed to... That guy's a repressed furry or something. The fuck are you so offended by Space Jam? Guess what their profile picture is. Is it the the female rabbit from Space Jam? No. That's Lola, by the way. (laughs) Is it a dog with a giant boner? Anime girl. Anime girl, of course. Why don't you go collect your pillow? <laughs> All right, Margaret Hill on our next Karate Kid episode says, shut up with two exclamation points. Yeah, I mean, that's another one. Like, thanks. I, you don't want to hear it. You can change. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a good podcast? I have a theory about some of these bad ones for you, Corey. They're all bad, but go ahead. I think that... Um, Maybe if you stop tagging your YouTube videos with watch full movie here, people wouldn't click on expecting to see the full movie on your two hour upload. <laughs> None of my videos have that. Fuck you. 
there is there is if you, you may pick it out so I won't ruin it in advance but there is one comment about that specific thing I would love to go over oh I'm sure we're gonna get there yeah you know Pappy from spoilers Josh knows him I know him um, he commented on our Howard the Duck video <laughs> and you remember you talked about how like how people can't swim it doesn't make any sense oh yeah he said my mom drowned she never learned how to swim I guess she should have just floated and moved her arms thanks Steve now, I'm pretty sure he's lying because he talks about his mom all the time. Yeah, I don't think that Pappy would post that if it were a genuine <laughs> comment. I'm going to go ahead and call bullshit with all due respect to your mother. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's true, though. You're buoyant. Your body is buoyant. I, the prob- look, I get it. The problem is people get in the water and they freak out and they start flailing. But, like, if you could just keep yourself calm and, like, sure in your legs, you'll, you'll stay up in the water. It doesn't, still doesn't make any sense to me. He also said that he would like to debate Steve, you, on any film-related topic. I'm down. I'll let him pick the topic. <laughs> Damn. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. Right? Star Wars sequels. Okay. That's, Abs- the, that's the place to but go. But I'm not going to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe Nurse Malcolm came up on your podcast. That's <laughs> terrific. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> so, Johnny Mnemonic Podcast... Mark Varto We Armin says spinal fluid LSD the best. Yes. Which uh, I'm sure Pappy would also agree with. He's <laughs> dropped a lot of acid in his life, as right. I'm going to probably bring up a lot because that came out when we did another podcast. Nice. I think he loves it when you talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Terminator 2 episode. Nightwolf88 says actually, not all police cruisers have dividers. Some just have no caging, usually for the officers to ride in the back or for cops that are only pursuit officers and not arrest officers. Yeah, I, I think he's right about that. And and that's that's actually, I'd agree, is probably a good observational point. Like, perhaps that particular vehicle wasn't meant to be used to detain anyone. I'll, I'll concede that one. He could be right about that. Josh, here's one I'd like you to respond to on our behalf. This is on our Lost World Jurassic Park episode. Okay. Babita Patel says... Please upload full movie in Hindi. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> well, as long as you can, like, assure the listener that you're not purposely tagging these videos <laughs> to be seen as, like, full movie uploads, I, I don't think that's your fault, Corey. <laughs> like, I, I'm willing to guess maybe there's a little bit of a culture gap there, but, sir, we don't upload whole movies to our channel, please. Least of all in Hindi. I don't speak Hindi. <laughs> After Earth. So on the After Earth video, someone commented something that is not English. I can't see the lettering. So I, I did a little bit of research and I found it's Arabic. All right. They left, well, they left an emoji. They left like the nerd emoji, like with glasses. And then the, what they said was just the word liar. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I don't know either. I, yeah. I, well, could you be more specific, sir? Edit that comment so we can address it later. Another person on the same video, Masood Shah, says... Fake video, fake channel, and video is spelled wrong. Yeah, that one, that one I don't really get. I mean, first of all, what's a fake video? It's not, it's not a doctored video. We didn't make it look like one of us was flying or shooting lightning bolts out of our eyes. I mean, secondly, like, it, it, so, I mean, the video exists. That's empirically true. So we've already covered that half of the sentiment. I mean, secondly, how could it be a fake? You can't have a fake channel full of actual content. So that's two for two. I, like We win, bitch. Yeah, right? <laughs> You conceded that last point, but this one you will not concede. <laughs> no, definitely not. We are real, damn it. The next Karate Kid, Pris DaCosta says, dumb channel. 
To which I reply, big dumb movie channel. Exactly. Ooh. There you go. Look, miss, I don't know if you you failed to get it, but it's supposed to be a little dumb. All right, Rick Richards on the Three Ninjas Kickback episode, which me and Josh did yeah, together. Yeah, I was on that one. He says, listening to this podcast, looking at Tum Tum's masked face, really makes me want Three Ninjas Funko Pops. The three kids with their masks on would be dope, in my opinion. Great podcast. Looking forward to knuckle up. Very, very nice comment. Those are rare. That's a real comment. Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll, I will agree with him. Some Funko figures of the three kids would probably be pretty amusing. Especially for millennials like us. Like, yeah. we'd see that and be like, oh, three ninjas. Right. It's so easy to fucking get money out of us from nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You remind anyone roughly between like 30 and 40 of being a kid and they're like, just take my fucking money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Times are hard. <laughs> Hussan Bahami on the Con Air episode left the middle finger emoji as a comment. Wait, on which one was that? For which episode? Con Air. Okay. And uh, it got one thumbs up. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, which again, which part are you objecting to? I just don't get it. All right. Baby's Day Out podcast. Green Parrot says, stupid asshole bastard. Remove your stupid video and upload the movie. <laughs> oh, God, there I, it is. There, I told you. Right? That's that's the center of all this anger. Is for some reason, they read Big Dumb Movie Podcast, Episode 51, Angels in the Outfield, and they think it's a full movie upload. Like, what? Why? This is why I usually believe in not giving people a forum to talk. <laughs> After Earth, Bonnie Bowieman says, Channel Thai. And T-A-I, and I, I did a little bit of research, and I, I couldn't find what Thai means, but in Urban Dictionary, like, it's one of the definitions is, like, slang for cool, so I'm going to assume that's a compliment. Okay. On the Hocus Pocus episode, It's Your Boy Kyle 420 says gay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'd like you to go simmer on your username, kiddo. Ugh. We did the Flintstones episode, Josh, remember that? Oh, yeah. Maybe you can respond to Oliver Drakes, who says, Sheet, S-H-E-E-T, which, you know, like, shit. She. Wait, sheet just? Just that word, yeah. Oh. Like, Um, shit. Like that character on the wire. Right. Man, this is mind-numbing listening to all these YouTube comments. (laughs) 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 All right, I'm going to get through a couple more. Someone on the Baby's Day episode just said, really? Just talking. Which, which is true. It's really what it is. If it's you think a about factual it. statement. Yeah. I, okay. Mm-hmm. No, you usually have clips from the movie in your podcast, too. Yeah. It's not, that's not talking. You have music. That's not talking. Right? We got a really nice comment on our Terminator Dark Fate podcast. On the from, Dark Fate podcast. Yeah, from Iceman Chris. This one's really nice. I am going to read it off. He says, hey guys, I'm a huge fan. I've been binging your videos every day while I'm at work. I'm currently on this video, but can't wait to hear all of the future podcast videos. Apparently, I'm your 800th subscriber as well, which I think is a good number. But if I can recommend a movie to put in the hat or be an actual episode, my vote would be Only the Strong, 1993, which is a childhood movie of me and my five brothers. But I know that it hasn't aged well. I'm sure it's perfect for you guys to point out its flaws, but keep up the great work and wish nothing but success for you guys. One last note, I don't know if it's me, but Steve's voice sounds like the bad guy from the Colin Farrell movie Phone Booth. No disrespect, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one before. It's not, I don't take that as a, as a point of disrespect. 
I'm pretty uh, sure that's Kiefer Sutherland, right? It is Kiefer Sutherland. You're right. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm happy to sound a little like Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, no, that is a nice comment. It's a good suggestion. I think we should add only the straw into our list. Is there a hat anymore, though? Nope, just kind of pull stuff out of my ass. So now there's just the ass. I gotta say, as a listener, Corey, people love the hat. They do? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe it's time to bring it back. Add some suspense. The last comment I'm going to read is on our test episode, Spider-Man 3. That was just us getting a feel for trying to do a podcast. Astral Flick says, yes, their voices aren't annoying. Now, I clicked on his channel and I watched a video and I sent it to you guys. It's just one I happened to randomly click. Do you think this is a fair comment? No, no. Your stop motion (laughs) Lego shit. Was really, really a let. This is like a reject from a Star Wars fan film festival. Yo, guys, that's not safe at all. I might have to add some railing so if you accidentally get stabbed, you won't just fall off. What are you, eight years old? <laughs> don't comment on my stuff. You don't like it, don't listen. You want to start a war? You got it, bitch. Yeah, right? Fuck you, Astral Flick. <laughs> right? <laughs> I thought that could have been like a, actually like a decent segment in uh, Robot Chicken. Just he didn't have the production value. Dude, I don't know. Oh my god! Yes, it's my my initial comment. I'm actually going to edit it a little, but my initial comment to Corey was basically to say that this was a bad Robot Chicken ripoff. <laughs> Bro, you can like fade down your music so we don't hear that click every single time you like stop a line. That. <laughs> Sorry, that's really getting into the production value of it. But it's got 48 views, guys. And at least five of them are from us. I watched it twice. You guys watched it. Right? Three or four times, I'd say. If anyone wants to watch a really good one, I, I do not know the person who owns this channel. If he doesn't want me talking about it, hopefully he'll let me know. But there was there's a fan video. It's really just cut footage from episode four mingled with some of the prequel footage. It's called Obi-Wan Has PTSD. It's not a, It's not a joke. It's, it's a good one. That's my favorite uh, Star Wars fan bit right now. It's when he's talking to Luke, right? Yeah, exactly. And then it, it, it enters spaces where are supposed to be flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. I, it's a really good video, actually. It, There's some good Star Wars fan stuff. My brothers just shared that with me this week. That's crazy. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that and yeah. the SC-38 Reimagined are like my two favorite fan things on YouTube for Star Wars right now. Yeah, I was moments away from... Ripping that video from YouTube and putting it on my Instagram, actually. Nice. I I still might. Yeah, that's a really good one. It is. Well, we're here to talk about sidekicks. Oh, yeah. By the way, (laughs) thank you for anyone that listens on YouTube. If you're listening, leave us a nice comment and give us a thumbs up. (laughs) If you want to. Nice to nice people. (laughs) And by the way, Astral Flick, no beef. I'm just kidding. You can talk shit. It's fine. (laughs) I kind of like doing this comment stuff. I'm beefing. (laughs) Steve takes it very seriously, though, so just be warned. He will look you up and dox you. Right. She. <laughs> Guys, what's your favorite Karate Kid movie? Like from the originals? Of of the Karate Kid movies. Like Jaden Smith? <laughs> yeah, the Jaden Smith one. Yeah. That's actually my favorite. I've defended it before on this podcast. I do really like the Jaden Smith Karate Kid. I'm sorry. God damn it's it, not, Corey. It's, it's a good movie. It's a, it's a well-made film. I'm sorry. The first one is so fucking cheesy, dude. It, it, I, I mean, that's my favorite. And it's just because I liked it when I was a kid. I mean, I don't like any of these movies anymore, really. I still I still kind of like the original three. I mean, not in the same way, but yeah, I don't know. I, which, is it two or three where they go to Okinawa? 
Two. Two. I think I, I think two might be my favorite. It's either two or three. I know a lot of people don't like three, but the I, the, the, I can't remember the actor's name now. The Terry Silver character in three was fantastic. Those two guys were everything, like, if you're making a serious attempt at the Joe Piscopo character from this movie, from Sidekicks, that's what you end up with is Terry Silver. They did such a good job with that character. He's such an asshole. He is a psychopath. He is. He's a total psychopath, but he was the perfect counterpiece to Miyagi. This is also a Karate Kid movie in my head canon. <laughs> it is. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a B ripoff of, of Karate Kid movies with a little bit of um, blood sport at the end when they're doing the block breaking. <laughs> what is it called in blood sport? We have to break the bottom break. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what they call it, but I remember what the, you only have. You can only crack the one at the very, very bottom. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't remember what they call it in the movie. Anyway. Sidekicks is a 1992 film, I think. I saw some yeah. varying years online into when this came out. But you saw it in theaters, right, Steve? I saw it in theaters. 92 sounds right. Wow. Yeah. Was it a good experience for you? I was nine. I was super into martial arts. I didn't love the theater loving it, but I wouldn't say it was... I would say it was a generally good experience for me at nine. I thought it was more or less enjoyable. It didn't age very well for me, though. Yeah. Josh, did you see this movie as a kid, or is it your first time viewing it for Big Dumb Movie? It's a first time viewer for me, really? and I gotta be honest, I don't remember this at all. Wow. At all. So, that's really strange, because I feel like I feel like I knew everything in this movie, but I've definitely never seen it. Oh. But it's so, like, 80s, honestly. I know it's 1992, but, like, we're talking about Karate Kid, and I think, like, some of the production stuff is so bad for 1982 it seems like it should be a bad 80s movie yeah well that i agree with you i mean the the it's weird it it definitely felt like a high budget b movie you know what i mean like it had a lot of money by b movie standards but wasn't quite an a-list production and it definitely felt like it embodied a lot of the most shallow parts of stuff from the mid late 80s without any of the more positively nostalgic parts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can get behind that. Absolutely. One of the things that makes it feel of its time is the fact that Winnie Cooper is in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And this was yeah, just about the end for her because Wonder Years was off the air or almost off the air by 92. And then she went off and did other things. She's brilliant. I'm not talking shit about her, but this was about the end of her really being an active actor at that point in her career anyway. Yeah. She's and come back I, since. She has. I could see how being in this movie might turn her off to acting a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The character she plays, it's not great. No, I mean, that's she's probably the thinnest and most shallow of all of them, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? She has the best arc in the whole movie. There are arcs in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> We can talk about sidekicks. We don't necessarily have to go in order, but we can start at the beginning and then we can kind of go anywhere you guys want from there. Yeah. This is the kind of movie where you can just talk about things. It's not, doesn't necessarily have to be plot driven for, for our take on it. No. So, okay. I, I do want to touch on a little sort of pre-production moment here. Then. Oh, I love this. Go ahead. <laughs> right. So there was this dude, Mattress Mac McInvale. And he was a furniture outlet owner, and he was very, very successful. And he ran these outlet stores in Texas, and he and Chuck Norris had partnered to do a series of uh, television commercials specific to networks in Texas 
that were all about um, keeping school kids from off of drugs. They were called kick drugs out of schools. So it's like a dare program kind of thing. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, sort of a similar to dare, but they were in TV commercial forms. And uh, Norris apparently suggested something roughly like this idea or this idea to McInvale and said, you should produce this movie. I think it would make money. And McInvale apparently said, I'll commit them. Well, I've heard two different versions of the story. One version of the story said the producer came back, the McInvale came back and said, I'll produce the movie if you star in it, because that's how we can market it is you being in it. I've also heard that he agreed to produce it anyway, and that when they eventually de- decided, in quotations, this was obviously all nepotism, when they decided to, to let Chuck Norris's brother Aaron be the director of the film, that that Chuck agreed to be in it as a favor to his brother. But one way or another, they knew that if this movie was going to make any money, they had to have Chuck Norris in it. But yeah, so anyway, this movie was, was the brainchild of Chuck Norris and a guy who owned furniture stores. And it was produced by the guy who owned the furniture stores. Directed by Chuck Norris's brother. Directed by Chuck Norris's brother, <laughs> who is also a stuntman. He actually did some stunt work in Ant-Man, oddly enough. Yeah, I looked uh, up his IMDb. I saw that. He, I mean, he has a huge resume for stunt stuff. Yeah, yeah. And a few directorial credits. Not surprisingly, a lot of his resume is either stunt work or directorial work on Chuck Norris features. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. Um <laughs> got to throw your brother a bone, right? <laughs> right. He, Chuck Norris even got his son into the movie. His son's one of the bikers uh, in one scene. Oh, that's the best scene in the whole movie. Right. <laughs> well, can we just talk about the actual directing style? Because I don't think it's very good. In yeah, this is movie. there one? The tone is so crazy. It goes from like bombastic to kind of like serious, like familial relationship stuff and not a good way. Like some movies can balance that, but for some reason, this one just, it makes all the stuff they're trying to take seriously just come off terribly. You know what I mean? It felt like they wrote it for a 30 minute TV slot and then realized they needed to pad it out for an hour and a half to me. I I think to me, that's why it seemed like some of that stuff was so, like they keep going back and forth and there was no real character development. Everything felt very compressed. It was almost like they'd written it to be another one of those, like an after school special. And then they were like, oh, shit, this has got to be 90 minutes long. <laughs> it stars Jonathan Brandis, who oh, is no Jonathan longer Brandis. with us. And I want to say right off the bat, I do like Jonathan Brandis a lot. I grew up yeah. on this movie. I grew up on the It miniseries. And Never Ending Story 2 is a movie I happened to see before the first Never Ending Story, which I liked a lot as a kid, even though it's awful. So no disrespect to Jonathan Brandis. He's cool. I like him. Right, Josh? Okay, I would stick up for him in this movie, too, because I think they're asking this dude to do so much in this film. And most of it, especially from the perspective of a kid, it comes across pretty well. Like, he has to pretend he has asthma, but he can also, like, come back and beat up the main jock later. And he's got to be, like, goofy and funny and... He's got to like be crying at one point because Winnie Cooper told him to go home or whatever. Like, I think his, like any actor's range would be tested in this sort of situation. And how old was he at the time of filming? Like, that's probably just too much to put on somebody who's like a teenager. I don't want to make it sound like I'm being mean. I never got the impression he was a, a particularly deep actor, but I I did like him, and I would agree in the sense that regardless, this, there was not a lot here for any of them to work with. 
He's got that 90s look, don't he? He does. He definitely has yeah. that 90s look. I mean, it's very telling that like his first work as a child was as a model. And then his first acting work after modeling was on a soap opera. So, I mean, it's very, it's, that look really obviously worked for him. And then he happened to be talented enough to pull off at least some acting in addition. But yeah, it's, it's a sad story. I mean, and this was a good point for him in time because I think it's either this year or the year after that he ended up on Sequest, the TV show. And that was a big deal for the three years it was on before they, they that show really fucking imploded. That was a bad deal for everyone involved. Even Roy Scheider, before the show was even over in interviews, Roy Scheider was already talking about how they destroyed the show and messed it up and made it something it wasn't supposed to be and blah, blah, blah. And then they, my favorite, I, mean, I know this is a real, really off tangent note, but my favorite, I want to make mention of because I think you'll like this. Roy Scheider walked off that show at some point. They replaced him with Michael Ironside. It took months worth of negotiations to get Ironside to, to agree to even be on the show. One of the show's quote-unquote main characters was a dolphin called Darwin that could speak using a, me- a mechanical computerized apparatus. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Right? When Ironside was in contractual negotiations and were trying to get him onto the show, one of his specific points was, if you want me to be on the show, I am never talking to the dolphin. The dolphin and I cannot <laughs> interact at all. I don't want to be involved <laughs> with it. <laughs> I've seen Johnny Mnemonic. I know where this leads. Right? You know, and Mnemonic was later. Oh, okay. Yeah, like a year and a half, not by much, but it was later. But yeah, yeah, and then uh, his career kind of went south, and he he decided to take his own life. It's very sad. Yeah. So I, without getting like, I definitely want to don't want to get morbid like Brett would, um, <laughs> or like get weird. But shout out to Brett. Was he depressed? Like directly related to his career? Is that the impression you get, Steve? Yeah, I've read a bit about this and heard some stories. I, I've heard that he was struggling with a little bit of depression anyway. And then there was some career issues. Um, Sequest was very difficult, a very difficult production. They knew the show was going downhill quickly. He was not getting a lot of offers otherwise. His last couple of projects were, were mostly really B productions. One of them, I think, was a, a book, of, I'm sorry, a movie about high school girls that was based on a book. It was a very, very, very low budget production. Hmm. He, he'd gotten a fairly, well, somewhat substantial role in a Bruce Willis movie called Hearts War about World War II POWs. But during the uh, post-production process, his role was edited down to something like two minutes where he thought he would be in the film for like close to an hour. And, um, yeah, he, he just combined with whatever depression he was already, already committing or feeling, he, uh, I guess, couldn't deal with it. Somebody, somebody found him hanging in the hallway outside his apartment. And, yeah, it's pretty rough. That's yeah, really too bad. Just yeah. one last note that I have about him is that he was actually on The Wonder Years. So, yes, like the year before this came out. So, like him and Danica McKellar may have you know, been buds or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny how that ends up happening. I always wondered, it's another real big tangent, but uh, Christopher Lloyd and Danny DeVito had both appeared together in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And just a few years later on, they both ended up being recurring characters. Danny DeVito, especially as a regular character on a television show called Taxi. And I always wondered whether the two of them ended up together on the show because they knew each other from the movie. Taxi was good. Taxi was a good show. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> weird intro, but good. Yes. It's like this weird, like depressing, like 70s show intros, like MASH and shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, oh boy, the aesthetic of the 70s is not, not one I'm typically very fond of. Yeah, same. Uh. Not really my jam. <laughs> but Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Sidekicks, maybe the beginning portion of it to introduce what the premise is, because you kind of see what it is right away. 
Yeah, and this is where the Ninja Turtles analogies start coming into play for me immediately. They're in like ancient Asia somewhere, and there's a bunch of ninjas, and like there's a character played by Julian Nixon, and this is one of the set pieces where she is the damsel in distress, and she's like tied up, and this guy's about to come stab her with his katana, and like publicly sacrifice her or something and all of a sudden two ninjas in white come in and this is like basically exactly what a ninja turtles fight would be so i like the 12 year old 10 year old self inside of me really love this part because i think it was like literally you guys i think they wanted this to have like the fun and zest of a Ninja Turtles fight and like without the actual violence or blood as is shown time and time again in the movie. Yeah. It doesn't have quite the one liners or like the, yeah. the music. I mean, it does have Silvestri, but, <laughs> but it is no, very... the one liner is just that it's Chuck Norris at the end. Every time it's like, <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> when it's that old cliche where it's like, there's 130 of these other ninjas, but for some reason they only attack Norris's character one at a time. Yeah. Like why, why would you not just mob him? And they have, they do this, I think twice, but there's the moment where, well, cause you see the two ninjas in white, the two good ones fighting all the ninjas in black, the bad yeah. ones. Where they like lock arms and then they do like this, like the roundhouse kick. Oh, and yeah. they like keep kicking and their foot doesn't touch the ground and they're like spinning. And the guys keep coming forward and getting kicked. Like, it's like, I guess, supposed to be like there's no defense for this technique or something. Yeah, you just, just wait. Gets kicked, right? Just, yeah. I mean, God forbid one of one of the 200 guys with the sword just sticks his sword in there. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Just hack his leg. Right? The directions for the choreography of this are just go put your face on their feet. Right, like, yeah. Over and over again. Kicked. <laughs> There's some sweet guitar riffs in there. I mentioned Silvestri did the score. He did he had a he had a good run. He did a waste. Three movies in a row. Sidekicks, cop and a half, and then <sighs> Super Mario Brothers. I, I, I don't want to get too specific, but my, my dad was lifelong friends with someone who was intimately involved with the production of Cop and a Half, and it's one of his big career regrets. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dude, one of my <laughs> childhood favorite movies. We'll have to do a podcast on Cop and a Half someday. I'd love to hear more about that. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a music track that plays while they're fighting here that is also just seems lifted from Ninja Turtles, and it is like it's like a early crappy synth beat. And then there's like guitar licks that are like, yeah, it, it it really is like like a soundtrack written for a Showtime production from 1988. It, it's just not good. We talked about when they take off the masks and Chuck Norris is one of the ninjas, but then the other one is Barry, of course, Barry Grabruski, who's Jonathan Brandis. Mm-hmm. It turns out they're like sidekicks, but then Barry like snaps into reality and uh, well, sort of. He, 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 as he's coming out of his fantasy, it becomes obvious that he's sitting in the middle of a classroom and he's talking to himself out loud in his fantasy as if he were speaking to Chuck Norris. And he's giving this whole speech about whenever you need me, I'm there. You just call. I'll come back you up. <laughs> Thanks, Barry. Thanks for helping me out again. That's all right, Chuck. That's what sidekicks are for. But wherever I am... Whatever I'm doing, all you gotta do is ask, Chuck. (laughs) 
And it's like, yo, this dude's schizophrenic. No, this- it's asthma. No, good. It's just asthma that causes people to do that. Don't worry about it. He definitely He's a dreamer. He's a dreamer. He definitely shouldn't be taken to see a psychiatrist. Like, I mean, come on, every kid daydreams, but if your kid has a regular habit of being so into their fantasies during the day in class that they're talking to themselves out loud without knowing it, you need a doctor. You need a doctor. He has an inhaler. Oh, okay, that's all you need. The inhaler will fix it. <laughs> no, you need a stern talking to. Psychiatric problems are frequently fixed with an inhaler. <laughs> Depends what's in the inhaler. Right? Well, look, depending on what's in the inhaler, you might make the psychiatric problem worse. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing to me is that everyone is like waiting for him to finish his fantasy so they could just fucking jump him like they they, yeah, they just start clowning him like but everyone's been sitting there listening to him talk to himself out loud for the last however many minutes nobody thought to wake him up <laughs> sure thing chucky poo old pal any old time old buddy <laughs> yeah very weary you geek <laughs> what a dork <laughs> he just gets fucking roasted right as he should frankly <laughs> <laughs> I love how the roasting in this movie is very reminiscent of like Adam Sandler movies. Loser! It's so like blatant and just. Oh uh, yes, the face. high point for for the writing craft in Adam Sandler film. <laughs> I think at the end the enemy says like "Good luck on the next one, puke face" or something like that. It's like wow, <laughs> dude, Cellini does say that. I put it in my notes because I thought it was funny. Puke face. God damn. So, Steve, why don't you tell us, like, what does this lead to? Because we can see that Barry's a disturbed individual. And (laughs) he is obsessed with Chuck Norris. We we find out after that that that's that's a common thing. They all have Chuck Norris involved in his daydreams, his fantasies. They all have Chuck Norris involved. It's like, okay, you know, the, the teenager with asthma who constantly gets picked on wants to be the hero in a fantasy. But they... The one thing I always found was a little strange about this was that his love interest in the movie is the Danica McKellar character, who's his classmate. It makes sense. She's cute. But all of his rescue fantasies involve this teacher. So it's like, who are you really interested in? It sounds like he's until, in love with the teacher. Until the end, oh, yeah. where he's finally able to lucid dream. Right. And he inserts her in the fantasy. <laughs> right. That's true. He does eventually include her, but it really kind of seems like he's sort of sexually obsessed with his teacher. With his dad's love interest. Let's just be straight up about it. Potentially. Essentially, yeah. I mean... She touched his boob. It's official. (laughs) She got to second base. (laughs) Wait, isn't that how you get a girl pregnant? (laughs) (laughs) Bo Bridges is now pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Bo Bridges plays the father. And... His whole character is that like he's a nerd. He's a nerd dad, right? He's a he's a programmer. They make one brief reference to. My dad's a computer programmer from Pittsburgh. Make him mad, he just punches the keyboard harder. <laughs> and they establish that like his wife, the kid's mother, has been dead for about a decade, and that they relocated to Texas from Pittsburgh. I, they're really specific about why, other than a sort of very thin implication that it was because his father took a job in Texas and uh, he's got asthma. He gets picked on. He's got no friends. He comments at one point that no one likes him. He doesn't actually seem like a bad kid for the most part, but aside from this weird lucid dreaming thing, he really should go see a doctor about. 
And being obsessed with Chuck Norris is is a weird personality quirk, is it not? Yeah, yeah. Because who really likes Chuck Norris? He's from Texas. He's a Texas boy. He's a Texas boy. But no, I mean, you're right. They sort of write him as being like a 17-year-old, six-year-old, where he still has an imaginary friend, and the imaginary (laughs) friend is Chuck Norris. And his father keeps making excuses for it. It's like, oh, he's just a kid, and he's he's not real popular or whatever. It's like, dude, you're... Your teenage son, your 17, 18-year-old son is, like, spending all his time fantasizing about going on adventures with Chuck Norris. I've had talks with him about the daydreams. He's, uh, he's just never been a, a physical kid. And there's nothing wrong with that. Einstein, uh, Gandhi, Gershwin, there's nothing wrong with these people. My son has asthma. He, he's made up this world where he can uh, be the star athlete, the quarterback. He can be uh... Chuck Norris. Yeah, he says they're sidekicks that they they uh, do things together. It, something's wrong with this. <laughs> I don't even mean to pick on him, but something's wrong with this. Like your kid is not continued developing. He's like an eight-year-old. So something probably needs to happen here. <laughs> I agree. So what they do, they decide, all right, we're going to take you to Cobra Kai Dojo. Right, yeah, we're going to take you to the equivalent of Cobra Kai, a really piss-poor piss knockoff of Cobra Kai. It's worth mentioning most of this movie is a really bad knockoff of the first Karate Kid. So bad. To the point where the guy who ends up becoming his teacher, who went by the name Mako, um, who I think is like the best part of this movie, actually auditioned for the part of Mr. Miyagi and got offered the part of Mr. Miyagi and ended up having to back out because he played a main character in the two Conan movies that Schwarzenegger was in. And he got an offer to reprise his role in the sequel at the same time they offered him this. And he he and his agent, I guess, decided it would be a better idea to be in the Conan movie instead. No, I'm sorry. When they offered him Karate Kid, he went and decided to be in the Conan movie instead. Right. But yeah, this dude mm-hmm. was almost actually Mr. Miyagi and then ends up basically playing a bad knockoff of Mr. Miyagi in this movie. He was also in the third Highlander film and in RoboCop 3. He's got a real weird... Resume, but I always liked him. He's cool. Oh, RoboCop 3. So that means we'll talk more about him eventually. We will talk more about him. And I actually, I don't want to get the number mixed up. Uh, he, he, one of, he's one of only eight Asian descended actors to be nominated for an Academy Award in an acting category. And funnily enough, one of the other eight was Pat Morita for the first Karate Kid. So, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so they take him to this Cobra Kai-esque dojo and the, the, the sensei turns out to be a ridiculous character played by Joe Piscopo, who was a, an SNL alum. He'd been on SNL in the early and mid 80s. He'd originally been really skinny. And at some point in the mid or late 80s, he decided for whatever reason that he just wanted to get buff. So he got buff. He's legit jacked in this movie. He like he's oiled and he looks good. Right? No, that's one thing I got to <laughs> give Joe Piscopo credit for. I always thought he was funny anyway, but he he really went and did it. There was no airbrushing. There were no bodysuits. Like when he was like, no, I feel like being buff. He went and, and got buff. So do you feel like uh, Danny McBride takes a lot from Piscopo? <laughs> I, I was feeling that big time in this movie. I do, actually. In fact, I could see them remaking this with Danny McBride playing the equivalent part, except McBride wouldn't lose any weight. In fact, he'd probably gain weight and play <laughs> it with a huge belly. But he'd still take his clothes off at the end and maybe even more close. Oh, absolutely. He'd probably do a scene in a Speedo with nothing but the Speedo and sunglasses. It would basically be... Uh, uh, Kenny Powers, but as a as a, a sensei, <laughs> we don't allow shoes on the mat here, Mister. <laughs> I love his mouth. 
Like, that's an obnoxious scene. They walk in and the teacher's in the middle of teaching a class and he's, Bo Bridges' character's just like, oh, I'm just going to let him know we're here. And he walks onto the mat in the middle of the class. It's like, even if you didn't know the shoe rule, you can see he's in the middle of teaching a class. Could you not just wait 10 minutes? Right, exactly. Like, no. what, what is he doing? Right? What's your problem? He's busy. Just sit down. So it's no wonder Joe Piscopo is like in a pissy mood when like they're yeah. actually do- talking to him about Barry joining. So you want to learn karate, huh? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? You mean yes, sir. Don't you, son? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yes, sir. Now, your uh, father here tells me all you think about is this uh, art, this craft that has taken me years, years to master. <coughs> Could you wheeze a little quieter, kid? I'm trying to talk here. Yeah, the character, Piscopo's character, obviously supposed to be kind of a jackass, but at the same time in that moment, you're right. It's like, what you're being obnoxious. What are you doing? Don't do that. You walk into the middle of my class, you're wearing shoes. Uh, you must be pretty good to uh, win all this stuff. Well, I don't like to brag or anything. Yeah, I bet you're almost as good as uh, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris? Chuck Norris? He doesn't compete anymore, kid. And one of the reasons, one of the main reasons he doesn't is me. <laughs> okay, let's, uh... Yeah. He doesn't compete because I would kick his ass. Let's go, son. Come yeah. on. Kick his ass. Got you the first time. Find another place. I mean, this isn't all there is. You know, kid, that's the first smart thing you've said all day. This isn't all there is. It's just the best there is. You know, karate is a sport of discipline and restraint and style. One that builds respect. You believe in the Easter Bunny too, kid? He also has a severe grudge against Chuck Norris. For totally some unexplained. Yeah. I think maybe an inferiority complex is what it's supposed to come off as. <laughs> but like, Chuck Norris kind of validates him that he at least knew him from back in the day because he's like, man, that guy hasn't changed, which yeah. is a sick burn in the movie. But at the same time, he's like, they do. They did know each other. In yeah, the apparently they're acquainted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, there's a lot of a lot of back and forth about how good Norris really was as a martial artist. He was successful in some martial arts tournaments, but he also lost a handful of the early ones he was in. And uh, there's a lot of argument as to whether or not the story is true. There's a really prevalent story that when he was working on Way of the Dragon, which is the first real movie he got cast in, that there was an... an offset rule well, on set but off camera moment where he and bruce lee actually got into it for real no way yeah and some people contend that if the fight hadn't been broken up that norris would have been able to beat up lee and i've never believed that was true i wonder if that's like partially some inspiration toward once upon a time in hollywood maybe yeah i think it is you know and like look lee's lee's wife and daughter came out after once upon a time and said that wasn't really him as a real person and even even Tarantino said well of course it's a, the whole movie's a satire I pumped everybody up it wasn't meant to be a completely but Tarantino also said and I believe it based on what I've seen and read Tarantino swears to God that he read a lot of books and talked to a lot of people who had worked with Lee and heard a lot of stories and I mean if anyone's going to be able to get inside information on what it was like to work with a person on set it's, it's Tarantino for sure you know I mean it's not like this guy doesn't have access to the right people and and he swears to God that there were a lot of stories about Lee not not really being an asshole, but definitely being arrogant and pompous and kind of a shit talker. 
And um, I, even I've like heard some things about that through like videos and stuff. Right. Yeah. So I could definitely see that moment in Once Upon a Time being a somewhat exaggerated reality. Absolutely. Josh, Steve was talking about Mako, who plays Mr. Lee. Uh, do you have any thoughts on his intro? He gets a pretty good intro in the movie. Is his intro when he beats up all the motorcycle dudes? No, the smoking. I hate that scene. I hate that scene. <laughs> the smoking part. We'll talk okay, about that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the first time you see him, he's like just... Uh, where is he from, Corey? Where is he from, Steve? They, they, <laughs> never, they never say. I mean, his last name is Chen, which is Chinese. But I'm pretty sure in that moment with the cigar, he speaks Japanese to the other man who was smoking. So it's like, I, what nationality is he supposed he's to be? He's multilingual, whatever. He's, yeah. He's from the homeland. That's part and... of my problem is like, that even even in this movie, it's just like, oh, they're all Asian. You know, I mean, and I, and I guess I guess that's, I mean, they're supposed to be in the one hand. Well, you know what? Let Josh talk and then I'll go over that. <laughs> well, let's get into it because his intro is a white dude saying, hey, you insert terrible name for Chinese people here. Yeah. Tell that other terrible name for Chinese people to put that cigar out. May I help you? You can help everybody in this place. Tell that chink that doused that cigar. This is a public area. He's not supposed to be smoking that in here. Yes, of course you're right. Since we're all so similar, though, would you mind telling me which particular chink you're referring to? The keys are in front of you, Charlie. And like... <laughs> I, I mean, I... I I don't feel comfortable using it. I, I will say it this once. He does, for the context, he does refer to them both as being chinks, which is, which is pretty fucked up. But yeah, so yeah, they start off the scene being like, oh, look at what a huge asshole this guy is, calling them all chinks. But then it's and like, Charlie. we don't know how to tell the difference between a Chinese guy and a Japanese guy ourselves. So. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's so terrible. Right? It's like you, 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 you just fucked your own point. Like you're just <laughs> as bad as the asshole who used the word chink. Like. <laughs> They should have just stuck with the gag of, like, they didn't have to pump up this scene as much. That guy could have just been a general rude jerk. Yeah. And the gag is that he takes the cigar that he was complaining about and sneaks it, like, reverse picket pockets him, puts the cigar in his pocket, and his favorite jacket goes aflame. I'm smoking. I'm smoking. I'm smoking. I'm smoking. Yeah. As Mr. Miyagi Mako rides off into the sunset and Mr. he dies in a horrible fire in a subway <laughs> right yeah i mean realistically you could light that whole person on fire that way that's that's nasty man i'm smoking i'm smoking i'm smoking <laughs> it's fucked so bad it's awful i mean the, the whole character from there you can tell they're just aping miyagi there's a scene where it's like oh look at the old guy he couldn't possibly beat us up and then he beats up a bunch of younger guys like you know? <laughs> well we were talking about bow bridges earlier and we get to the scene where Miyagi needs to like clear out this gang of bikers who's like taking over his restaurant in a terrible way. You call them Miyagi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the only reason I'm bringing up this whole thing is because there's one shot of Bo Bridges underneath the table that makes this whole movie just worth it for me. I was just dying laughing at just the dynamics of that shot. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I remember he hit under the table, but I don't remember the frame you're referring to. I'm going to take a screenshot and put it in our Skype call so you guys can see it. But as a, like, I'm a camera op for my real life job a lot of times. And something about this shot just hit me in like the best way possible. Maybe you can throw it up on your Instagram sometime, Corey. For sure. And I'm going to set this up a little bit so Steve can complain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's new? Mr. Lee Mako 
and his niece, they have like a restaurant. A lot of this movie takes place of them like hanging out in a restaurant or training because Mr. Lee is going to train Barry in karate, martial arts, whatever. Because that's going to fix his schizophrenia. It's going to, his asthma. <laughs> asthma, right. <laughs> and when they're in the bar to kind of show like how badass this guy like Miyagi is, it gets like taken over by a bunch of bikers. It's kind of like a smash cut. Suddenly, it's full of bikers inside yeah, the restaurant. there's no setup. It's like all of a sudden she's in the kitchen and there's bikers here. Where's that little gal, Grub? Grub, that is the name, ain't it? It's a funny name. It grows better, ain't it, boy? What? All right. And they're drunk. And they're drunk. Yeah, they're, they just, a bunch of bikers got drunk and wandered into a Chinese restaurant. They wouldn't have found a bar or a barbecue joint or somewhere that's appealing to bikers. They wandered into this Chinese place. <laughs> what are they doing in there, Steve? Like, what is happening? It doesn't seem like they're doing much of anything except harassing Bo Bridges. They don't even seem to want to eat. They just came there to pick on a nerd? Like, yeah, it's just like, let's go into this random Chinese restaurant and see if we can find someone dorky to pick on. I like, we're going to do something really special for you. We're gonna remodel this place. Yeah, boss. Yeah. We're gonna take that wall over here and put it over here. Yeah, yeah. That wall, put it back over here. Yeah. And we take the kitchen, put it all the way in the front. That's right. First thing we're gonna do is we're gonna start right here. The fuck is happening right they're, now? They're like hitting him, right? Yeah, and they're like poking him and pushing him, and they're you know, one biker. Oh, what's that dude's name? The guy that's like actively having a heart attack. <laughs> right? The, the, there's one of like the lead bikers. The Michael dude. Moore biker? Yeah. That dude between 1988 and like 1994 must have been in 1,200 different things. And every single time, every fucking time, he either played a construction worker or a biker. I swear to God. He was almost never anything else. He had a role playing a similar character on Home Improvement for a while. Like... I, if I could remember his oh. name, I'd pull up his filmography to look, but I swear to you, if you can figure out what that dude's name is and look him up on IMDb or Wikipedia, it's like 37 in the same role in, an, in a five or six year period. Honest to God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then, so she go, she goes and gets, what is he, her uncle? Her yeah. grandfather or uncle? She goes and gets her uncle out of the kitchen, and this is like my one favorite bit in the film with him, even though it was a total rip of the Miyagi scene where he beats up the teenagers. So he loads up this this tray full of food and he splashes rum or, or something, bourbon, whatever, all over himself, making himself smell like booze. So he goes out there acting like he's drunk as hell with this giant tray. I mean, huge tray, like family-sized Chinese dinner. And um, just starts – he makes it look like he's drunk off his ass. And uh, uh, he starts spilling this food and, and hot like tea water and everything all over these guys. And he's burning them and scalding them. And they're going and running around and freaking out and stepping on feet. <laughs> this is enough to chase him, chase them out of the restaurant. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, you know, there's, there was a moment where it was like, well, I would have eaten all that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he defeats them through slapstick comedy. He does. It's a slapstick moment. And then. He uses it much like – so here's, here's the moment where they rip off wax on, wax off, all right? Miyagi gives Daniel something that seems totally trivial to do and then eventually explains, oh, actually, you know, this is to help – this really does have a function. It's to help you practice this movement. And, and Mako explains after doing this that 
Those bikers only saw what he appeared to be, a drunken waiter, and not what he actually was, a martial arts master who's capable of scalding you with hot water. <laughs> so, yeah. Dude, he doesn't do shit. <laughs> he really doesn't sh- do much. The shit he does is so... St- he, like, bumps into a guy and that, like, knocks him out. He's like, ah! Oh. And then he, yeah. like, nudges a guy with his elbow and the guy, like, moves and, like, gets his head hit on a fan and, like... It's kind of weird. He steps it's- on a guy's toes. He does, yeah. It's kind of <laughs> weird. It's like a finishing move. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's this easy to subdue a bunch of bikers. I mean, obviously, they can't go as hardcore as they would in an R-rated movie meant for adults. But you think about that scene at the beginning of T2... Where Arnold goes into the bar, you know, I need your boots, your 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 jacket, your motorcycle, whatever he says, and and then he gets into the fight with them, and they're they're breaking pool cues over him, and he puts a knife through one of their shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> That's a biker fight. Do you think Mako would have lasted in that bar? No, no, fucked him <laughs> up. Yogi might have, but Mako wouldn't. No. I, I wanted to mention real quick, Mako voiced the uh, Splinter. Yeah, in two thousand seven, uh, two thousand seventeen MNT, and he he did the role and. The either the day of or the day after, because they kept it secret that they announced that he'd done the voice, he passed away. Yeah, and he lived in a house up in Somas, which is pretty interesting. Where Somas? Oh, okay, and just north of here. And uh, uh, he, yeah, that was just kind of kind of sad, but his life was kind of cool, even if it wasn't a great version of TMNT. That his last real role was with Splinter. Not bad. Yeah. I kind of like that movie. It's yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was Michael Bay. No, 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 that one wasn't the Bay oh, one. Oh, no, you're right. No, you're right. This, that was the other one. Yeah. But yeah. That's all right. You want to be a martial artist. And what would be your fighting name? Hmm, Barry the Leopard. No, 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 not quite right. Uh, Barry the Tiger, who fights with courage and relies on instinct. No, no. That won't do. Oh, da, 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 da. <laughs> mm. I have it. I've got it. What? What is it? Mr. Dumpling. Mr. Dumpling, who fights in a most deceptive manner by smashing the fists of his opponents with his own face. But yeah, that's Mako for you. And he's kind of he he's kind of a fraud. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Like he gives Barry as he's training him like these like potions to drink and they apparently smell like raw sewage. Here's another ripoff moment. Like when Miyagi puts Daniel San's foot in the bath after he broke it, kicking the wood post for silver. Oh, okay. From three. From okay. three. Yeah. It's like, okay, well then now here's, here's a potion you can drink that might make your asthma go away. But when he gives him this stuff his niece asks like what is in this and he's like i ah, don't worry it won't kill him like it's, it's clearly just some shit he put together like i think there's alcohol in there right he wants to advertise himself as being this expert in like a traditional chinese medicine it's just like it's a bunch of shit i don't know whatever ancient chinese secret right, huh? right. yeah it's calgon detergent and water yeah. <laughs> and alcohol i guess right, yeah I had adult onset allergies like four or five years ago and was dealing with asthma stuff and like we've brought this issue up with this movie a couple times now. If I had seen this movie then, I would have been so like taken aback and pretty pissed. That's like asthma is not real. Just use these essential oils and like work harder. Run more, Josh. <laughs> That's kind of what this movie's saying. <laughs> yeah. My essential oils and crystals have made me the amazing person I am today. <laughs> he rubs essential oils on his chest in the hospital, and that's like for the better in the. As far as the movie goes, he saved him right there. I, I yeah, see that's like I know that 
what do you call that stuff? The mental mentholatum? Whatever that should the stuff you put under your nose when you're real sick and it's supposed to help you. You don't know that you guys didn't get that. No, it, that's a real thing. You can buy it from pharmacies. I don't think people use it as much anymore. My my parents were both born in the early '50s, so they got a lot of carryover practices from their parents. But yeah, it smells a lot like eucalyptus. And if you're really really congested, you can put a little bit under your nose, and it'll help clear your sinuses. And for a long time, even doctors would say it's totally fine. You. If you rubbed it on your chest when you had a really bad chest congestion, the vapors coming off, would you'd breathe them in and it actually would help make you feel better. And there are traditional like herbal equivalents to that. So there's a little bit of like, you know, that can help. It doesn't actually cure you of anything. It just helps make you feel better. You know what I mean? Do you think it's appropriate for Mako to come take off Barry's shirt in the hospital and rub this on his chest? Sounds like Steve thinks it is. No, no. I think if they made this movie today, they'd probably pick that out as, as, a, as a questionable moment. But No, just plug this, these oils into the outlet there. Right. But there is, I know there is a lot of that kind of thing, like, in, and I'm, I don't mean this is a talk shit moment, but I know there is a lot of that kind of thing in, in traditional Chinese medicine. It's like this, these packages of herbs. There's a, what do they call it? A poultice. There's a traditional practice. I don't think anyone uses these at all anymore, but something called the poultice, which is basically like cheesecloth with a bunch of herbs in it. And you put it on a wound and it was meant to leach out bad stuff. It was, I, they actually did have some limited function in helping avoid infection, but you know, not modern medicine. Yeah, but they had like thousands of years as a civilization for a guess and check to come up with that right? stuff. <laughs> you know, and and I agree with the point you're you're making, but I think at this, you know, you you do these funny things for thousands of years. Eventually, no shit, you're going to land on a few that do sort of work. It's yeah, incredible, sure. and I and I say this as someone who works for a pharmaceutical company. It's incredible how many modern drugs are actually derived from stuff they figured out doing that. So, yeah, yeah, it is interesting. I still think, though, generally the theme of this m- movie is I think his line, Mako's line earlier in the film is like, we're going to see if this inhaler is a crutch or a hurdle or something like that. Yeah. I don't think that's, I mean, as good as Chinese medicine can be, I don't think that's a very good sentiment for a movie for young kids. No, I really don't think you should be encouraging kids to ditch it because the, the inhaler, as you well know, has it does have a, a steroid in it that's meant to help open up the, the blood vessels and stuff in your lungs. So When yeah. I was a kid, I had asthma. Yeah. And I started taking Taekwondo and it was not related to this movie, but I'm going to change my own canon, my own life canon and say, I saw this movie and then I started taking Taekwondo to cure my asthma. (laughs) And how did that work? Did it? I don't have asthma anymore. Right. (laughs) I was taking Taekwondo when this movie came out, which is part of the reason why I wanted to see it. (laughs) Well, let's talk about Barry's fantasies. He has a lot of elaborate fantasies, and maybe we can talk about some of our favorites. Josh, what are some of yours? I think the opening one that draws so many comparisons to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, in my mind, will always be the most memorable. But also the first one, I enjoyed it because it's like a cold open, and I didn't know much about this movie going in, so I was thinking that after this cold open, they're going to have to set up how... Barry and Chuck Norris were like actually time traveling around being cops in different like, periods of history and I thought that was the movie I was in for. <laughs> this is so like, like a time cop. <laughs> <laughs> so the reveal that it was just him dreaming in class was actually kind of refreshing and then I'll just bookend that too and say probably my second most memorable one is that at the end he is able to lucid dream and control his dreams so he changes the female in distress from his teacher and dad's love interest, very Freud of them, to uh, Danica McKellar. And 
the way he like acts really goofy and like pulls out a rocket launcher, I thought was actually some of the strongest parts of this movie. Now, I know the exact scene you're talking about, and yeah, I like that moment when he has that big grin on his face when he pulls like a mm-hmm. rocket launcher out of his jacket, like like a cartoon character would. Yeah, he gets really zany. <laughs> so. I, Steve, I'll go on to your favorite dream that he has. But first, I really want to quickly touch on like each dream is like a different like style. Like the beginning one is like a ninja Japanese like ninja kind of event. Yeah. The one that Josh was just describing where they break into the warehouse, that's more like a Steven Seagal kind of action movie. All right. And then you have like the classic Western one as well. But anyway, go ahead, Steve. What, which ones do you like or hate? Yeah, I don't know that I really loved any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask you about one of them? Because I feel like you'll know about this. Absolutely. One of them that Corey didn't mention, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be like Nam or Korea. Um, And Chuck Norris's brother actually died in Nam. Like, do you know anything about that? And like, isn't it kind of weird that he would then play for goofs kind of right. uh, Vietnam war scene I don't know it is a little strange I don't I don't know if it was meant to be any kind of an homage at all I mean considering his other brother was directing I wouldn't be surprised if there was meant to be something there I always kind of took it as being uh, just a knockoff on on a Rambo film I, I can't even remember which yeah. Rambo it was but the three four there is one where he's he's basically he's in I mean I know one of the newer ones he's in like Thailand as well but one of the early ones was also in Southeast Asia, and he went he went in to try to rescue somebody from basically a POW camp. I think that might be two, which actually has Maureen Chen from this movie. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the, those kinds of action films were just it. Between, like, 1985 and 1992-93-ish, that was, that was the way those kinds of action movies got made. I mean, mm. the Steven Seagal movies were all basically the same. You know. And Chuck Norris was in another movie similar to that scene they recreated in this one where he comes out of the water and he's just like, yeah, he doesn't do much. He's just standing there <laughs> firing a machine gun for like 10 minutes. That moment was super prevalent. Dude wearing a green vest and a bandana suddenly comes up from the water and starts firing <laughs> off an AK-47 like it wouldn't be flooded with water and completely useless. You can tell when they when the people making the movie were actually paying attention to anything um, Vietnam era because the soldiers... The soldiers had to uh, make sure the guns were always held above the water to keep them from getting waterlogged. In fact, a lot of the times that they were worried they couldn't avoid it, they'd wrap their their weapon in uh, basically a plastic bag to keep the water out of it. So Plus, yeah, they jammed from mud a lot. Yeah, 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 exactly. That was a really tough environment for them to be using weapons in. And uh, this is not me justifying the Vietnam War. It's just a technical point. Steve you Burns know? over here. Right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah. So like, you know, that that was such a ridiculous thing. It's like you've been swimming around under in muddy swamp water with this gun and it'll just work when you come out. In that like Vietnam-ish one, the uh, Joe Piscopo is the villain, as he often is. Sometimes it's yeah. Piscopo, sometimes it's the coach from his gym class. But <laughs> Piscopo is like total like yellow face in that moment. Yeah. Bring the gunpowder. No! <laughs> well, now I teach you lesson. No! I, I, I blow you up now. Yeah, there are definitely some things about this movie I don't think would fly now. They would definitely be referred to as problematic. 
You know, he's got like the Ho Chi Minh beard, right? And he's like talking with an accent. You know, I mean, I'm not. It, it's not the worst I've ever seen in this. I, I can think of the worst I've ever seen in this example. But yeah, I mean, the whole the whole like blackface, yellow face type thing is just it is kind of in bad taste. Yeah, yeah. I think that's safe to say, Steve. Yeah, you know, maybe just avoid it. Especially it's 1992 already. You probably didn't need to do that, but. Uh, my favorite one is the one that Josh touched on a little bit, which is like the Steven Seagal kind of like show up there with a trench coat and shotguns and you got a mullet. They both have mullets in that scene, which is great. Chuck yeah, the Norris. mullet haircuts are the best. <laughs> so good. And they just like blow the place up. It's like a drug lab and Joe Piscopo is really over the top in that moment. I mean, he's always over the top in this movie, but it's pretty great right there, too. razor blades in this bubble gum. <laughs> What is the problem? Hmm? She won't talk. I thought she was smart. Well, you know what to do, so do it. <laughs> My pleasure. No. No. <laughs> There's an unbearable scene, though, where he's, like, being a conductor, and, like, I it like is that. crazy this made the final cut. I can't believe that's in this movie. It's so weird, and it, it hangs weird. on him for, like, 30 seconds, and... What is he doing, Corey? He's 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 directing people to make drugs and put dynamite in pinatas. Yeah. Razor blades and apples or whatever the fuck. No, like conducting. What's the function of his pointing? What's comedy, bro? It's pure comedy. (laughs) And then Spike rolls by. Wasn't that Spike? I don't know. (laughs) Oh my god, what a moment. So that that's like probably the part that sticks with me the most. Is that I don't know. (laughs) Wasn't that Spike? I don't know. There's a, a Thomas Harris book. Thomas Harris also wrote The Silence of the Lambs. There's a Thomas Harris book, uh, Red Dragon. It actually takes place before The Silence of the Lambs. It's been made into a movie twice. Manhunter. Yeah, Manhunter was the original one. And Manhunter came out late 80s. I can't remember exactly what year. 88, 89. It would have already been out. There's a moment in that story where a journalist gets tied to a wheelchair set on fire and basically rolled down a hill yeah and i was kind of wondered if somebody who'd been working on this had seen that was like oh yeah we could take a joke out of that i had the exact same thought it's a very chilling moment it is both of those movies actually yeah yeah Yeah, i think that if you like the bad guys in mandy if you guys remember that movie with nick cage they're like monster guys yeah yeah if you could supplant like that kind of actual creepiness into the scene i think it could have been pretty effective because i think some of his dreams like i love that some of his dreams are really goofy and we talked about that but i think some of them could have gone like really dark and i get that this movie goes out of its way time and time again to not be violent not be morbid not be dark but it could have been so much better I agree with you 100%. I mean, even scenes where, like, they're shooting people, but you never – not that I needed to, but you never see any blood. You never see any actual gunshot wounds. They don't even really use squibs. It's always just, like, the implication this person got shot. It definitely felt like they were directing it to to make sure that it, it just wouldn't really verge on anything other than cartoony violence, which is, I guess, fine. But I agree with you, Josh. And, like, 
I, I guess it just shows you how fucked up I am in the head. But like when I have dreams, which is rare, but when I have dreams where I'm being like attacked or chased by people, they're never like goofball, like, oh, I'm bouncing around and here's my secret in-coat rocket launcher. They're always like, these people are trying to murder me. And it's horrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> so like, I, I think, you know, having like a, like a dark version of it would have been much, much more like, yeah, I can see that. Steve's night terrors. Yeah. Like I don't get those often, but once or twice a year, I get a real nasty one. It's just like, fuck, what's wrong with me? Ugh. I like talking about dreams and reading about lucid dreaming and like how people are able to do that and stuff. And I, I like that we're talking about that too, but Barry and Waka or Waco ha- ah sorry. <laughs> Barry and Miyagi have this like <laughs> terrible discussion about dreams. <sighs> and I wrote down actually what Miyagi says. This is his actual quote. Dreams are good. You must learn to control them. When you learn to control them, you will have fewer dreams then, but they will be richer ones. And then this is the real kicker. The dream world is where the child lives. Growing older would not mean growing wiser if that world did not exist. What is he talking about? (laughs) Well, I I like Barry's response. Is that the way it's supposed to be? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Lee? Mm -hmm. Do you ever uh, dream? Oh, yes. Not not, uh, just at night. Oh, you mean dreaming when you're awake? I mean, um, it's kind of like I'm off someplace or having an adventure with... With him? Yeah. Dreams are good. Even when you're walking down a hallway or sitting in a classroom. I like him and all that, but, uh, I mean, is it normal for that to happen? You must learn to control them. When you learn to control them, you will have fewer dreams then. But they will be richer ones. Is that the way it's supposed to be? The dream world is where the child lives. Growing older would not mean growing wiser if that world did not exist. How did you learn so much? Television. I agree with you, Josh. At the same time, I, my one little secondary note, that secondary, that second part of it, like, kind of does underline what I was, in my opinion, underline what I was saying earlier, where, like, Barry's basically a teenage child. Like, he's still having these imaginary friend daydreams. You know, it's it's one thing that, as a teenager, occasionally, like, fantasize about being the hero. I think that's what's fun for kids about comic books, for instance, is, like, you can fantasize a little bit about being the hero, but, like... If you're that age and you're still like, oh, yeah, me and Chucky go on adventures and I, you know, I, I burst out having <laughs> conversations with my imaginary friend Chet Norris while I'm in class. Like, Chucky. Right? Chucky. Right, Chucky. <laughs> um, like, uh, I, I think maybe, maybe Mako's trying to like phrase it softly and just be like, yo, you're too old for this shit. <laughs> like, it's all right for you to have aspirations. Those types of dreams are fine. But like, you're, you're too old. To be sitting in class having having out loud daydreams about beating people up with Chuck Norris. He's just trying to be wise. <laughs> but I don't know if that's true. I think he taught him to use his dreams like in the last sequence where he's in the nunchucks and he he zips in his mind back to right. that initial scene of him being a ninja wearing all white. And he like uses that to like 
one kid was like jumping for joy. He was so inspired by that nunchuck performance. <laughs> so no, I'm not. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I'm asking, like, so you think it was a catharsis thing, where Mako was like, if you learn to control this, you can not only keep yourself from doing it when it's inappropriate, but you'll find it more fulfilling when you do do it. I guess. I just don't know what. It's, this, it does seem kind of like open to interpretation. I think. I think you're ultimately, you correct me if I'm wrong. But part of your point here is that it's kind of a pointless, gray area, ambiguous type of thing to have said anyway. I just think there's a lot of also other way more interesting things you could say about dreams and the lines that they wrote for him. Just kind of, he's saying like it's good, but it's bad. To, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe, but maybe like, not. What are you? Is kind of what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to say something that's like totally off topic for a sec. When I was a kid, when I was like five or six, I was obsessed with knowing Oscar the Grouch's like trash can, like what's inside when he goes down. That's an interesting (laughs) one. So I had a dream once that I was in Sesame Street and I opened his can and I went in and like it was like a whole fucking world under there. But then I woke up before I got to explore it. And like for years of my life, I'm talking like 10, 15 years, I was trying to rehab that dream again. Dude, you know, it was never specific to Oscar, but for years when I was growing up, like I'm serious, five, six years, if not more, I had a recurring dream about a, a very small doorway that led into a very massive place and I'd go wandering around in it. And and like, I only remember bits and pieces of it, but it's for, I think kids... Think like, that it's way. like an Alice in Wonderland thing. Yeah, it like- exactly. It was just it's like and even even when I would wake up and remember, I'm like, oh, that's neat. Like a little tiny door, but it goes to this gi- giant. Yeah, that's weird. One of my first dreams, like whenever I in my mind, I'm like, oh, that was like one of my first dreams. I can ever remember. It's me touching like a side table and like touching it enacted like me to be in a different world where everything was kind of Mario and super big. So it's almost right. like that same kind of weird. There's you know what I would be. say. The the dream world is where the child lives. Exactly. Yeah. We're just but growing older <laughs> would not mean growing wiser if that world did not exist. Right? It's just the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's I mean it's just it's so strange how like like not only is it common to everybody but there are certain like weird strings that you'll find that like almost everybody as a kid had this thing or that thing incorporated into a dream somehow. Just shows you how similar we all are. Yeah. You know who's similar to me? Cellini. You're definitely <laughs> Cellini. No, no, you're the one from the next Karate Kid, aren't you? Oh, uh, what's his, um, what's his fucking name? He's, Gus or something? Yeah, something like that. That's definitely you, Corey. No, I'm Cellini. <laughs> Lauren doesn't like you. She pities you. You're right. Josh, uh, where the, the movie kind of builds toward Cellini and Barry, and they're like, what's their deal, Josh? Well, first of all, I'm ticked because they were supposed to fight at the tournament at the end and they don't fight. So I don't get it at all. But Cellini is like the jock who beats up the nerd at school. You gotta watch where you're going, creep. Accidents happen when you don't pay attention. <laughs> let me up. Well, if I let you up, then you might hurt me. <laughs> and I don't want you to hurt me. What's lucky for you, Master Stone didn't take you on. Because I'm in that class, and I'd be doing this to you every day. <laughs> oh, look at this. So where's your friend Chucky now, retard? <laughs> oh, by the way, Thorne doesn't like you. She pities you. <laughs> I guess there is kind of an arc here, Steve, 
because at the beginning of the movie, he's just the jock and Barry is just the nerd. But by the end, they're both jocks. (laughs) 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 I think that like he is just the douchebag at every corner in this movie. He likes to put his foot on Barry's chest because Barry has a hard time breathing. So that's like a pretty cool thing he does. Um, he, what? I mean, he's t- he says he's going to kiss Danica on the lips after he breaks his arm or something at the end. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to break your fucking arm and then kiss her on the lips. He's the kind of guy who has the gall to like walk over to you in front of the girl and be like, hey, it's weird that you're together because you're way too good for him. Well, it's like, yo, dude, she's expressed disinterest in you multiple times already at this point. Like, what makes you think she's going to make out with you? She should have just responded, but I just like Barry as a friend. I made that clear to him earlier in the movie. <laughs> right? <laughs> I ain't into either of you guys. Yeah, he's 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 like a sociopath. That kid's just a dick to be a dick. Yeah. So essentially, like, they kind of like face off a little bit. And Cellini challenges Barry. He says, all right, you want to fuck with me? Karate tournament, bitch. Just like the movie Karate Kid. <laughs> so they... They're going to face off in a tournament. But like Josh said, they actually don't face each other Yeah, they like, never directly. Fight. They don't fight. And there's no real payoff with Norris either. They need an extra team member. So they finally, this is where Chuck Norris really actually gets introduced to the movie. Is he, he, they meet him at the tournament and he agrees to become a member of their team. And there's almost, almost no real usage of him other than that what is supposed to be the big payoff where he beats up Piscopo's character. And that seems kind of boring. What about the camera move where it's like flipping him around? around and it's like a close-up on his face (laughs) that is awful it is awful (laughs) the only good part about that is when it ends and the the freeze frame on his face the extreme close-up and he just like looks sweaty and gross and he goes that hurt (laughs) (laughs) that is very 90s humor right there yeah it's definitely slapstick or like if you get hit in the balls and you go like oh mama or something like that you know how many ball shots were in this movie i think we at least got three or four solid ball shots well there's some good training montages here at some point barry gets ninchucks and he like hits himself in the balls first thing he does tries a trick hits himself in the balls it's always nunchucks (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> just like, oh, why? Why is it always nine chucks? Next time I'll use mustard. <laughs> when he first gives him the nunchucks, he, the, uh, Barry's like, wow, these look deadly. And Mako's reaction is just, they are weapons. They look deadly. It is true. They are weapons. But you must realize that the greatest weapon you ever possess is self-control. Yeah, I like, and also he should. It's, it's, I know this is me being over detailed about it and overthinking things, but like they don't, they don't give kids regular nunchucks to learn with. They give them ones. They still hurt like a son of a bitch, but they give them these ones that are like padded. The, the handles are padded. They're not solid wood. They don't have. They don't use a metal chain. There's usually something else used to connect them. They behave just like real nunchucks. They're meant to train you to use real nunchucks, but the whole idea is if you fuck up and crack yourself in the head, you don't hurt yourself nearly as badly with them. Yeah, when you start learning how to juggle, you start with, like, feathers and pillows and tennis balls. You don't just start off with the sharp knives and the flame torches. Chainsaws. Those things are absolutely (laughs) hard enough that if you crack yourself in the face, you could break a cheekbone, you could break your nose, you could put a crack in your forehead. Like, you don't give a teenager who's never handled nunchucks before real nunchucks. It's ridiculous. Mako gives into him and he says, you're gonna train with these every day now 
If you fuck up, they will sting you. Okay, on top of which, um, who's going to show him how to do that? Right. And you, you just like, he's just going to learn by practicing? No. He's like, he's, watch Secret of the Ooze. Yeah, watch Secret of the Ooze, you'll be fine. Watch a TMNT movie, you'll be good. And then, of course, at the end when there's the payoff, I, uh, Jonathan Brandis, I guess, must have learned to at least do the basic twirl himself because there's a shot of him doing that. But then they immediately transition to him, him, in quotations, in the white ninja suit. Stunt double, yeah. Stunt double, yeah. So it's like what they did is they hired somebody who actually knew how to use nunchucks. Somebody who was pretty good. Yeah, the, the stunt doubles were great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I guess that's like Josh said, like that's like his fantasy come full circle or something. Like he can now use the fantasies to his advantage to overcome his nerves or something. It's all such bullshit. <laughs> well, he had closure with Chuck Norris. Like one last time, ghost Chuck Norris at the very end, which the ending makes me give this movie like if this was spoilers it'd be a yes just because of how great the ending is i want to say at the tournament they do get chuck norris on their team because they need four people on the team to compete and they didn't know that so they just show up it's just (laughs) it's maureen mr lee and it's barry but they did no research they didn't read the pamphlet or whatever like they just show up but the guy at the front desk oh my gosh that fucking guy and who's your fourth Oh, we don't have one. We wanted to compete as a three-person team. Uh, no. It's a team competition, and you have to have a complete team, which is four people. So, you just have to find another team member. Thanks so much. Application, please. Morning. (laughs) Is he doing a David Spade? What's he doing here? I don't know who he's channeling, but he is the fucking worst. Like... (laughs) He's stuck with me my whole life. Like, I know that guy's face. I can think of it on any given day at any given time. Yeah. Ask me about the guy at the front desk from the karate tournament and sidekicks. Not that anyone has, but I, I could picture the guy. <laughs> could you imagine how much of a nightmare he'd be in real life to run into that guy at the front of a line? <laughs> terrible. Like, you get to the airport, like, you're, like, five minutes away or whatever. Like, you're, your plane's going to take <laughs> off, and he's the guy. Oh, um, I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> Chuck Norris. It's supposed to be like a, a funny moment, I guess. Like Chuck Norris shows up and he's like, yeah, I am their fourth team member. And he's like, okay. This is a little joke here. What? Oh, come on, Chuck Norris. Be Chuck Norris. You got a problem with that, son? No. <laughs> <laughs> When, like, how fucking unfair is that? All these other teams showed up. The other teams are all from regular dojos. And the the members of those teams are just the students at the dojo. Maybe occasionally the teacher. And the teacher's likely to be pretty good. But, like, Chuck Norris is here <laughs> to watch. That's He's right. a spectator. And, and they run up and they grab him. It doesn't strike Norris even for a moment that it might be slightly unfair to have him at a tournament that's obviously designed for, like, local Houston area dojos and their <laughs> teachers. Like, it's very low likelihood most of these guys are going to be good enough to beat Chuck Norris. Yeah. I thought it made it seem like the tournament was a little 
bigger than that, like almost like a Texas wide thing. Okay, you know, and I can go with that. Maybe it's Texas State. Maybe it's even a, a Southern U.S. national uh, uh, national championship. That makes it even worse. It's like <laughs> you know, the rest of these teams can, don't have like celebrity martial artists. It's not like okay, well, this team gets Van Dam, and this team gets Seagal, and these guys get Jet Li, and that no one team wants Seagal. Like they're you trading. Know, dude. Okay, I'm it's gonna like the low draft pick. Speaking of, I want because it's an opportunity, and I will love telling the story. I want to tell the story for a minute. Seagal is so fucking full of shit. That guy is such a giant goddamn gas bag. He spent years, years talking shit about Van Damme. Now, you say whatever you want about Van Damme. Van Damme is a ridiculous human being. I will never deny that. Drug addict. Drug addict for at least part of his life. I had affairs behind his wife's back. Was difficult to work with. Um, and I know that secondhand because, my, my, again, I know people who worked with – I literally know people who worked with him. The, the guy, I'm not going to say he was the best in the world or anything like that, but he was a legitimate martial artist. He was good at it. He did compete in Europe. He did win in competitions. He proved that he knew what he was doing. Everyone agreed he was very physically adept. Even the people I know who worked with him who had terrible stories about him as a person would admit to you he was a very physically adept martial artist. But Seagal spent years talking shit about him <laughs> and basically claiming that he wasn't a thing and that it was all an act and that he didn't really know martial arts, that he was full of shit. <laughs> At one point in an interview, I think it was on um, – oh, no. Oh, what was his name? The African-American um, talk show host. Who was Arsenio. On, Arsenio, thank you. On an episode – I think it was on an episode of Arsenio – during the early 90s where, where Arsenio basically brought this up and said, you know, Van Damme has won championships and Seagal's response was basically those weren't actual championships. Like they were rigged? They were rigged or they were fake or they were bullshit. They were full of 12-year-olds and Van Damme didn't really have to fight anybody to win them. You know, stuff He's like that. He's one to talk. Exactly. It was like a regional Texas championship. Those yeah. are the championships he won. <laughs> right? So, so uh, Sylvester Stallone later told the story and apparently other people backed this up that Stallone where someone in his crew, I think it was Stallone, was, was throwing a party at his house and a bunch of the actors, action stars from the era were, were, were invited. This was late 80s, early 90s, Ooh. when they're all at their fucking like peak. Seagal showed up at the party first and went on his normal rant talking shit about Van Damme and from Stallone's mouth, I don't know, I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, but from Stallone's mouth, everyone there knew Van Damme would kick the shit out of him. Stallone said that. And, um, uh, so uh, apparently at some point, somebody suggested, you know, Van Damme's going to be here tonight at this party with you physically. You'll be in the same place. We think you should prove it. Because Seagal's whole thing was I could Stallone be- probably has like a boxing ring in his place, right? Oh, yeah. I would bet he would. Yeah, absolutely. And, and He could uh, ref. He could ref or something, you know. And I'm, look, you know, you got a bunch of people there. No one's going to let it let anyone die. They just yeah, want to see who's really going to win They can this. wear like the gloves or whatever. Like yeah. You know, and, and, you know, people basically said, Van Damme's going to be here. We think you should either put up or shut the fuck up because you've spent all this time talking shit about him. He's not a real martial artist. And he's not a real tough guy. And you could kick the shit out of him and blah, blah, blah. So let's let's put up. Well, conveniently, conveniently, Seagal, at the moment they found out Van Damme was arriving, suddenly had somewhere to go. And he takes off, like takes off. The way Stallone tells this story, Seagal couldn't get out of there quickly enough when he found out that Van Damme was showing up. 
And apparently Van Damme went off after found, finding out that Seagal had run away. <laughs> and Van Damme got a car and found Seagal at a nightclub somewhere and basically got in his face and said, you fucking prove it. I'll do it here in public. I will ruin my career to beat the shit out of you while people watch so we can prove what's actually going on. And Seagal basically just ran away from the whole thing. Uh, that, I love that. That is amazing. Right. And you, I don't remember exactly the right search terms, but in order to back this all up, there is absolutely a YouTube, at least one YouTube video of, of Sylvester Stallone telling this story himself. And if you look around enough, it wouldn't take you long to find it. Somebody needs to make like a recreation, drunk history style video of this whole occurrence. It would be so funny. Like right. all of the big action stars, like Arnold's in the background, like, oh, oh put your money. <laughs> right. like, it be- and I think they were all there. I think Van- I think Bruce Willis was there. I think Schwarzenegger was there. I think a lot of the whole cast Snipes. of the Expendables was yeah. there. Like, like everybody was an action Ivan star. Ivan Drago. And they right. all just say their ta- their taglines all the time <laughs> yeah. in real life, too. Dude, I, um, Drago, um, why am I blanking on his name now? Uh, um, just call him Drago. Drago. In real life, I'm, I'm sure he would have kicked the shit out of people. That dude is massive. Yeah, he was also he's another champion, karate champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I, I believe he's also got like a PhD in biology or something. That dude's fucking brilliant. Yeah, he's he's a very smart guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he has to have like a PhD or something like that. It's crazy. Could you imagine though being Steven Seagal in that situation, just looking around the room at all these humongous guys, <laughs> right? like goading you on? <laughs> Such a weird, right? I don't want to bash the guy too much, but isn't Seagal kind of like known to be the actual fraud? Like, yeah, I mean, Seagal's there is video footage of while Seagal was living in Japan, and he's got this whole story about training with a guy who was an Aikido master and being a teacher at the dojo and winning a bunch of competitions. But over the years. A lot of people have picked out stuff that Seagal has claimed about himself as either being exaggerated or unprovable or definitely a lie. Um, I think there's even a blurb on the Wikipedia page about Seagal about things people have called him out on. And yeah, a lot of what he claims about himself is really questionable. Well, isn't even like the running joke, the SNL, we've talked about Saturday Night Live a couple times today, but like the running joke on SNL with Steven Seagal was that he just breaks everyone's neck in like every yeah. movie he's in. So like to me that kind of is saying tongue in cheek like right. this is his big move. Like it's not really a physical feat to do this in a movie. <laughs> no, absolutely. In fact, not SNL, but Mad TV. Will Sasso for an episode of Mad TV did a bit where he was playing a knockoff on Seagal, and it's hilarious. Yeah, it's really another one. Right. That, yeah, that is good. Is it because y'all squinty eyed? Yes. <laughs> You got the wiggle on with the ponytail. I just want to say, <sighs> we don't know for sure about Seagal being. I mean, we're just yeah, it's all speculation. Don't sue me, is what I'm saying. But here. but I mean, because he would, he would, he probably would. But you know, a lot of this, I'm not pointing out of my butt. A lot of this is corroborated on the internet. You Google a little bit, even Wikipedia, you'll find most of right. this information. We're just know? reciting things we've read online. Yeah, not making our own claims. Right for yeah, legal it's not reasons. Original like. claim. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sidekicks the tournament. Is going down. Uh, Maureen does like a little like, I don't know, what is it, a kata? Is that what it's called, Steve? The kata or the the movements of the art itself. Um, I think what she's doing is supposed to be tai chi, but that basically is a type of kata. Yeah. And then Mr. Lee like is breaking bricks in an apron, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of fun where he comes in. I mean, again, it's a total knockoff Mr. Miyagi moment, but it was fun. I liked it. Miyagi's way better than this guy. I thought it was so lame, though, how he had to go back home for a while. And, like, it wasn't even, like, a payoff till way later. It's just, like, the next scene, he was kind of late. 
he yeah he had to go back to run the restaurant. But then he reappears at the tournament. It's like, well, you, what, you went and opened the restaurant for 45 minutes? Did anybody eat? <laughs> like, what did, what did you do? You just could have, you could have put a sign on the restaurant door that said, closed for family emergency, we'll be open tomorrow. Uh, you know? Yeah. There's some more motorcycle guy, guys in there. He had to go kick their yeah, ass something. <laughs> like, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you can only have the restaurant open for an hour during the entire day, just close for the day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't worry about it. Sorry, we're just opening. We're an hour from closing. Nobody Uh. can really order anything. By the time I make your food, I gotta leave. So... So Barry also does a brick-breaking competition after the weapons thing, which he he wins or whatever. But it comes down to, like, their dojo, the Frying Dragon Dojo, named after the restaurant, versus... I don't know what Stone's... Stone Dojo, I guess? Cobra Cup. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. So Barry has to break bricks against... Cellini, who was also breaking bricks. I guess that's their form of them facing off, which is, like Josh said, major letdown. Like, they don't fight. There's no fight at all. You don't even get, you don't get that, that cathartic moment with the, the crane kick. Yeah. You, know? you don't get, there's no payoff where the bully finally eats it. It's just like, oh, you lost now. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but breaking bricks is not like a very good visual medium thing. Like, No, it's not. It's kind of boring <laughs> and it's very easily, like, to human's eye, like, trickable I guess like so many ways you could fake breaking bricks and I think they I don't know the scenes are like semi-believable that's not really my qualm with it I just think it's kind of boring that we saw like seven rounds of people breaking concrete bricks it's like the movie we did a podcast on over the top where it builds up to arm wrestling and then it's very boring to watch people arm wrestle. <laughs> I mean, it's probably my favorite of Van Damme's really goofy movies. Well, I don't know, it's tied, tied, tied with Hard Target, but well, I mean, but I'm talking, I'm talking Van Damme now, uh, Bloodsport. It's like the one movie I can think of where, I mean, it's not a good movie, it's a B movie, but it's the one movie where it's like the the, the, the breaking is actually kind of fun. They do it in such a ridiculous way. It's like, yeah, it's awesome. And it's not the big payoff, too. Yeah, exactly. Nice. You're it's right. Like that's thing. what it is. It's not the payoff. It's just a piece. Yeah. It's like a part of the kumite. And we're, we're going to be doing more on Bloodsport eventually, so <laughs> stay tuned, listeners. So one thing that I'm, I saw this talked about a long time ago, I think, in the Nostalgia Critic video that I watched on this years ago. I didn't watch it recently, but... When Barry goes to do the final break, he has to like break nine bricks or some shit. Mako comes and just like lights it on fire. Yeah, this is, I mean, first of all, no, that's not gonna help. He's like, this will make it easier. I know it won't. And then, <laughs> <laughs> secondly, you're at, a, you're at an open tournament. They're not gonna just let you light shit on fire. <laughs> Like, but they do? They do. They do. Everyone just stands there and is like, oh, what's this old man doing? Oh, he's lighting stuff on fire. Fine. Let's see. Let's see if the kid can punch through it. That's now, safe. Yeah, totally fine. In, a, in an auditorium, in a convention center full of everyone. We don't have permits or safety setups or fire extinguishers. Or, yeah, it's totally fine. I'm sure the fire marshal will let us do this again next year. Also, it's not against the rules. <laughs> yeah, definitely not against the rules. And they shouldn't all have to do it the same way. You know, we'll just have him do this <laughs> one with the flames. Like... Whatever looks the most badass is allowed. Right? Absolutely. Here, this will help. Light this on fire. <laughs> Here's the thing, too, though. Like, I, w- I want to go back big picture, big perspective a little bit. This whole movie is about a kid who's just, like, kind of struggling. Uh, at least the interesting maybe part of the story is that it's a kid just trying to get through high school stuff, right? And we haven't... He hasn't really been a big karate guy and we definitely haven't seen like even any competition or hint of the inside of like 
Like this is what his dream is to compete on the highest level. And the entire third act of this movie is just like a bottle piece in this like convention center in this tournament. And they just totally like lose and forget about, uh, I don't know, anything charming about, you know, this kid just being a regular gym class hero sort of stuff. No, I mean, you're, you're extremely right because the only story this movie has is here's a kid that something happens to. Like, the high school part of it gets thrown out almost immediately. And you're absolutely right. Like, he, he never really had a dream of being a martial arts star. He had a dream of being an action star as Chuck Norris's sidekick. And he didn't really ever want to enter this competition. It was just something he did to try to prove himself to this chick he was sort of liking. Like, <laughs> There's no, the movie almost has no story. And the story they set up in the first half, by the time they get to the second half, they're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> he finally gets to be sidekicks with Chuck Norris, kind of, I guess, because they compete on the same team, even though they don't do anything together. Yeah, they do nothing se. together. Chuck Norris has like one one mediocre fight, which is totally unfair. Like, he doesn't even celebrate with them at the end. He just yeah. peeps out. He's just like, well, that was cool. He's like, I got to go film Walker in like two hours. I'll yeah, see and I got to take my brother with me because he's directing this other garbage on then. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't worry you can talk to force ghost me for a little bit though yeah why don't you sit here on this bench and drool on yourself and dream about <laughs> us doing something i don't know like, but barry's arc is complete because he he gives up the arc? magazine he leaves the magazine on the bench that has chuck norris on it that he's been carrying around with him the whole movie that even got ripped in half by cellini and he taped back up together like, I mean, I, maybe they're a real low-income family, but you couldn't have gone to a newsstand and bought another copy of this magazine? There's nowhere you could find I mean, come on, what's it worth? Three, four dollars? <laughs> Black Belt magazine? Yeah, it's just a copy of Black You can call their publication office and order a back copy of it, even if it's from ten years ago. It's like, it's Corey, where was that scene? What do you think about this last Jedi boy at the end, though, picking up the Chuck Norris mantle, grabbing the magazine? Broom oh boy, God. <laughs> wheelchair boy. Uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Someone's going to accuse me of being ableist, I'm sure. But can a kid whose legs don't work actually do karate? Seems like kind of a stretch. He can dream, can he? <laughs> well, in a. this movie world, you can just outflex asthma. So why can't he just be tougher and get out of the wheelchair? Oh, you know what? You're right. He just needs a soup, something to wipe on his chest and face, and a little bit of jogging, and it'll be great. Essential oils. Essential, that's right. That's what it is. This is essential oils. They'll cure autism. They'll make you walk. Whatever you've got. Goop. Goop. You don't need... Look, everyone, don't wait for a COVID uh, vaccine. Just drink some essential oils. Drink some, like, handmade, like, real, like, Chinese potion shit. Alchemy is the way to go, I think. I am so... Oh, my God. I love it. I love alchemy. I am I am so concerned about these statements, though. I really actually feel genuinely like I need to state right now that I'm not being serious. Because someone's going to go drink essential oils. No. And be like, I heard it in this podcast. Like, I'm just going to say this right now. Don't do anything we say ever. You never. Never. <laughs> don't ever do what I tell you. Unless I say watch a movie. Yeah. I mean, if it's about movies, you should listen to me. But they're all about movies, Steve. <laughs> okay, well then fine. Listen to me about that stuff. This is like uh, the third time you've backtracked for legal reasons on this pod so far, man. Take it easy, pal. <laughs> Look, man, my lawyer has been on my ass, okay? Right? You don't know how many times I've been sued, Josh. <laughs> well, that's sidekicks. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we get into ratings? It's my final thought. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the... I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this, but the file you gave me to watch this, it was really crazy. Like, 
I couldn't get the audio to work in QuickTime. I had to like take it into my own video software and like move the audio (laughs) to the side because it wasn't lined up right. I'm not trying to be shitty, man. I am the world's biggest Apple fan. I still have machines at home right now running that operate on OS 9. But are you seriously still running QuickTime? (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't have found VLC or anything? (laughs) Listen, it didn't work in QuickTime. So I just I went straight to Premiere like. I, I love that your next step is Premiere. You go right for the editing software. Oh. I wanted to see if this audio had any waveforms, but you're right. I sh- like actually, I'll be honest. If we're gonna talk about VLC, it has been crashing like a mofo lately for the last like year. Every time yeah. I open that thing. No, you're you're not wrong. The 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 something about the most recent patches seem to have screwed it up. But yeah, there's some like huge VLC fans out there. Anyway, this movie is hard to watch. I think is what Josh is saying. You know, he's right. And I, I will make a note of that. I also, we talked about this already, Corey, that like, there is no such thing as, as a decent home video copy of this movie. Like, there are two DVDs floating around. One of the two of them is absolutely just a bootleg of the old VHS. So it's just transferred VHS? Yeah, it's literally just somebody copied an old VHS tape and then used a computer to dump it on it. And they're, they're selling it in a very convincing looking fake package. So people have... Because I found reviews on places like Amazon that people that bought them thinking it was a real DVD and they're like, no, this is just a VHS copy on a disc. It, like, there, there are no widescreen copies of this. I, I Like I, to, I told you, I'll tell the audience, I, I got so desperate to see if there was any better way to watch this in the, the garbage upload that's on YouTube that I actually went to see if there was a decent Laserdisc copy and there, there isn't. <laughs> like, like it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, this movie, you can't stream it on Amazon Prime. It's not on Netflix, not on Hulu. It's not on any streaming service whatsoever. There are bootleg versions on YouTube. Yeah. Or you could torrent a shitty version if you are so inclined. That was the most surprising part of all. I mean, YouTube, movies, Amazon, Netflix, Voodoo. I, I, there isn't a single exactly. service out there where you can stream this. It's forgotten in time. Yeah. Let's just say I would have been happy to pay a couple bucks to rent this like early 90s schlocky thing, but me, me too. I, I wasn't able to. If, you know, I I mean, I wouldn't have loved spending the money, but for two or three dollars, if I could have at least watched it in widescreen. Okay. Decent quality. Yeah. Decent quality. Yeah. Lips matching with the mouth and like it was so bad. I would like have to line it up and then I'd watch for 20 minutes and I'd have to like reline up the audio <laughs> kit. <laughs> Oh my god. I'm so sorry, Josh. I ended up watching one of the YouTube versions which didn't look as good but sounded better. So It's okay. I, this is a good opportunity to get uh, hacked on for using QuickTime. <laughs> Deservedly. <laughs> no, I mean I still use it too in some of my old machines. It's just it's been a long time since I've heard anybody talk about using QuickTime. Oh, Josh. They was hacking on me. Exactly. Steve's <laughs> hacking on me. Come on, hey dude, man, Steve. I was shopping yesterday for parts for a G4, so I feel ya. Can I just say one other random note before we go into the end here? Of course. You guys, you did a podcast with Pappy, and you guys talked about Steve McDermott and oh, yeah. a lot of his romantic comedy roles, <laughs> and you never once mentioned Young Guns, and I like about threw my phone out the window. Like it was terrible. Oh, wow. You know, you're right. Young Guns does reserve some respect. It's one of the two best things Emilio Estevez was ever in. <laughs> and I'm not including Mighty Ducks in that statement, by the way. No, the other one's course. Repo Man. I was going to say Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> oh, Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> oh, that's Repo Man would be fun to movie to talk about, actually. It would be. We actually watched that movie for a film class when I was in college. It's, it's a good movie. I mean, it's it's also goofy, but yeah. 
I, I really love Young Guns. I, you don't know this, Steve, but there's a lot of like dissenting opinions on the other podcast that me and Josh are on. Spoilers. Check it out. Uh, about Young Guns. Like some of the people there are really, really against that movie. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could see not being into the second one, but I think the first one's a lot of fun. I kind of enjoy both of them, to be honest. Me too. Yeah. And I think you guys, what they I, are. Yeah. I would love to talk about Young Guns with you guys someday. Let's do it. I'd be happy to review those movies. Same. Absolutely. We'll do them proper. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's go into ratings. Josh, you are up first, my friend. On any rating scale you want, what are you going to give Sidekicks? I'll give Sidekicks maybe a three and a half rolled up Chuck Norris magazines out of ten rolled up Chuck Norris magazines. <laughs> I think that it... It had some just parts that made me laugh out loud. I think it's one of those movies that it's really bad. So I feel like you can learn a lot of like filmy type stuff from it, like where it missed. And this movie also gave me Bo Bridges underneath a table at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And if there's any way we can gif this scene of him going from above the table to below the table. On all fours, yeah. (laughs) It's so funny. He kind of looks like Rick Moranis in it. He does. Um, Anyway, like it's it's an all out terrible movie. I wish I had seen this as a kid because I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more then. And I think, too, like we said, if somehow they were ever to remake this and still like use Chuck Norris, I think you actually could have an entertaining film if you let it get a little dark sometimes. And if you don't try to play Chuck Norris so straight the entire time, I think there's a lot of humor maybe missed out on on. Um, Chuck Norris like popping out of the water like maybe they could have played that up a little bit more it's like so corny and hilarious like just like a little smidge more could have really made a big difference but anyway that is my rating three and a half out of ten all right I'm gonna go next and I'm gonna go a little bit nicer I'm gonna go six out of ten wow asthma induced hallucinations (laughs) (laughs) I actually do like this movie quite a bit, You're even though it's that. stupid and it's awful and it's hard to watch because the quality is horrible because you have to watch it bootleg because there's no legal way to watch this movie. <laughs> I still do like it because it's kind of so bad it's good in a way. Now, I know I say that a lot on this podcast. When I'm not absolutely shitting on something, I'm saying it's so bad it's good. Those are my two opinions. <laughs> It's either awful or it's so awful that it's good. And this is the latter. I do like this movie just because it's silly. It's fun. It's 90s. You got Chuck Norris. It's not my favorite Chuck Norris movie. That is Expendables. Favorite Chuck Norris movie. (laughs) That is Expendables 2, which is hilarious and awful. and, And also so bad it's good. Way more over the top than this. But I don't know. I like Jonathan Brandis. He holds a special place in my heart from when I was a kid. And even though it's a pretty much a karate kid ripoff it you know it goes some interesting places that, that scene where he's imagining them in like the seagal movie and that that little like silvestri stupid score is playing and i don't know it, it, it just makes me happy what can i say other than that <laughs> steve why don't you go ahead i'm gonna rate this movie on a scale of one to ten texas rangers <laughs> and i'm Oh, man, I'm struggling here. That's not even fair because one Texas Ranger is like enough. (laughs) Like one is really good rating. (laughs) Which is why I'm going to give it a one. (laughs) Um, 
I mean, uh, you know what? I'm going to up it to a two. I'm going to give it a two because I feel bad about Brandis, but like, and I kind of like Mako. Um, you pity me. You pity me. I do. I pity you. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Chalini was right. You pity me. Yeah, it's fucking, uh, it's just. I get it. Okay. Most of it is a, is a ripoff of other movies. It's unoriginal. It's shallow. There's nothing particularly good about the way it's written. It was produced like it was a after-school TV special made for NBC in 1992. Um, there's no real payoff at the end. He never really has a fight with the bad guy. Chuck Norris doesn't actually appear in the movie as himself until like the last 35 minutes and then doesn't really get used for much of anything. I don't feel like these characters had any real arc. The, the Danica McKellar character went from pitying him to being sort of interested in him for no good reason over an almost non-existent period of time. Guilt. Yeah, guilt, I guess. She watched up, him fight. Yeah, I guess it's what you know, she, he cried once and then she saw him in a karate tournament. It's like, <laughs> oh, now I'm interested. Hello. Yeah, right, hello. Uh, I, I, you know, just, 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 I mean, look, when I, when I was nine and I saw it in the theater, I probably would have given you at least a somewhat better review than this. I didn't leave the theater being mad at it, but... Yeah, I just... I, the Karate Kid I'll never get sick of. This... this I may never watch again. I don't know. Not, not a real special experience. You'll watch it again because you feel bad <laughs> for Bandus. Right. I want to do one other quick thing here. I'll start with you, Josh. If you could give a message to one actor in this movie, still alive, if they happen to come across this podcast, what do you have to say to that person? Whoa. This is weird. Uh, wait, if they're still alive or it has to be to someone still alive? It has to be to an actor in this movie that's still alive. That leaves Joe Piscopo, Bo Bridges, and the woman that played the teacher. And Chuck Norris. Oh, yeah, and Chuck Norris. <sighs> I would say, uh, Chuck Norris, please don't die during this time. America needs you. Stay alive for us. <laughs> you heard it here, Chuck. <laughs> Steve, you go. Mine would also be to Chuck. It's um, please stop making movies and television shows. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's that's messed up. Man. Focus more on staying alive. Is what he Steve might, is. He means. might listen to this whole podcast and then get to that point and just be like, "Fuck these guys." I, I mean it. Any work you get offered, send it to Van Dam. <laughs> no, I don't agree. My message is to Danica McKellar. You're still pretty, Danica. My message is that my friend Steve here is single. Yeah. So check them out. I do like smart women. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. All right. Josh, you have a podcast. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners about that and where they can find you? Sure. I would love it if people that listen to this podcast also listen to Spoilers Podcast because I think they go together really well. We talk about movies or funny stuff. Um, but yeah, it's podcast spoilers is our Instagram. So I'll, that's the one I'll push this time. Corey. It is one of the internet's great podcasts that isn't this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, top two. They're both top, top two, two podcasts. <sighs> Josh, I just want to say wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, all you got to do is ask, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This definitely isn't weird. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to write in, you can email us at bigdumbmovie at gmail.com. Our Instagram is bigdumbmoviepodcast. You can send us an email, ask us to review a movie. Maybe we will. 
Maybe we won't, but I really want to. So we, maybe we will. I'm going to go with that one. I'm actually re- reinforce that. I don't really want that. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts and give this video a thumbs up and leave us a nice comment. Not a bad one. Or I guess you could do a bad one. That's fine, too. It's about me. I really don't care. <laughs> In nine months, we'll read off the comments again. Right. <laughs> After my next kid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys very much for listening. We love you. And good night. Good night. that even God would understand if he invented them. He probably didn't.